Blog Talk Radio. Six, 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 six. The Lords are talking to me now. He's saying, "A liar is an abomination before mine eyes." Six, 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 six. I mean, really? That business with your tongue? What is that? That is disgusting. And oh my God, that other shit of pointing to your lap. I mean, what is that supposed to mean exactly, huh? I mean, does that mean pull over? I want to show you what a big fat slob I am. Yeah, or does that a- mean suck my dick? Six, 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 six. I don't want you around them. They're nasty-minded boys. Oh, you're a fine one to talk about someone else's mind. Six, six. Now you're not naive enough to think we're living in a democracy, are you, buddy? It's the free market, and you're part of it. Six, 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 six. Bust you up. Go for it. Well, here we go. The war is on. We're just waiting for the bell. And there's the bell. You know what that means. That's right. You're listening to Six Degrees of Retro here at blogtalkradio.com slash GRR, the Greg Reifstech Radio Network. I am your host. Greg, the movie maniac, Reifsteck, thank you for listening. We're on episode eight of this fine series. Yep, this is the show where we have a knockdown, drag out. Two people enter, one person leaves, retro rumble. We go through six rounds of movie references in an attempt to link them, whether they be actors, directors, producers, writers, so on and so forth. And who's the winner in this? You, the listener, you get to learn all kinds of new references. You get to go Google, get to find out some new movies to watch, learn about some movies you've never seen, reminisce about some movies you might not have seen in a while. So uh, this week's theme is the six deadly sins. I know there's seven, but uh, we deal in sixes here at Six Degrees of Retro, so we're going to leave one off. (laughs) Anyway, uh, my co-host is on the line. Hello, Trista. Are you there? Hi there. Hi. How are you doing this fine Saturday afternoon? Oh, I'm wonderful. <laughs> I think I've broken at least seven cents already, so I'm I'm doing pretty good. Today? Just today? <laughs> Just today. I woke up early so I could fit it all in. <laughs> Wow. I'm I'm lucky if I uh had lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm a busy girl. I know. I'm usually busy. I I was busy this week seeing movies and uh and uh doing all kinds of other stuff, about ready to leave on a cruise, um and uh ready to go do some sinning myself tomorrow down in Mexico. So uh Oh, that is fun. the perfect place. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, let's talk about sinning in Hollywood. And it's, of course, gotten really exposed lately. Uh, The the sin of lust, I would say, especially. Um, I mean, Hollywood is built on sin. You have the greed of the studios, you know, all the money they're trying to get from everybody. No, no budget is big enough. Everything's bloated. No movie can make enough money for them. And the gluttony of the parties, people are always here in Hollywood, you know, partying to excess. 
but this whole lust thing and, and you being a, a, a woman, what is your take on what's going on in Hollywood right now? Well, uh, the only thing that I, that has really struck me is that it's out in the open uh, more so than it ever was. I mean, they used to have the protection of the studio system where you could hush up things. And we just live in a new age where that's just not really an option anymore. Um, Everybody can just pretty much take out their phone and snap a photo or text a friend or, you know, whatever. So uh, I, I can't say that I'm surprised. I'm, you know, I think it's always gone on. It's just being exposed now. It is a long time coming. I mean, it all started fittingly with Harvey Weinstein, who always seemed to have something on everybody else. And actually, karma's a bitch because now everything's coming out about him. So, yeah, I think it's a great turn of events that started with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, your Louis C.K.'s, your. Um, Bill Cosby's, everybody is uh, getting brought out here. Kevin Spacey's, when you have that to have a movie reshot, a movie, <laughs> a, 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 an entire role in a film reshot because the studio is so embarrassed by your behavior. I mean, that's bad. <laughs> that's the one that has really been a shocker to me out of all of them because I just, you know, he's one of my favorite actors. And to know that he has just been uh, out of control all this time, and it's it's just now getting out is it's insane. I, I hate to say he, it, here in Hollywood, it was like the worst kept secret. It was almost as bad as Bill Cosby was around the com- comedian world, where people knew for at least the last decade that this crap was going on. Same with Weinstein. And because of his status, it was just accepted. And, I mean, that is actually what I think is the positive thing out of this is that everybody's on notice. Nobody's getting away with anything anymore. And they used to be able to get away with it like gangbusters. And like you said, being protected by the studios. Um, If anybody watches the show Ray Donovan on Showtime, I mean, that's pretty much the primer of uh, studios with uh, muscle uh, having people clean up their talent sins in every sense of the word. Um, yeah, have you ever watched that it, show? I haven't, but, uh, you know, I've seen previews for it. I've, I've just never made the time to actually watch it. Since you are into sins, I think it would behoove you to watch that show. Because okay. I think they all are committed within each episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, Most that was the other definitely. thing about Sin that I was thinking, too, is that um, I was actually talking to someone about this yesterday. And when you look at all the successful you know, TV shows and movies, what you will start seeing if you really break it down is that the Sins are usually all represented um, if there is a, a large enough cast, um, you'll kind of see this pattern where there is a character 
who has, um, you know, lust is the thing that's holding them back, and another one with greed holding them back, and another one with pride holding them back. So uh, it's it's very interesting uh, how really the sins are ingrained in writing. Uh, that's what makes interest, you know. That's the, uh, you know, the hurdle that has to be overcome in some way. Oh, well, yeah, it's the hero's journey. It's our flaws are what make the drama. If there aren't any flaws, uh, there's no comedy. There's no tragedy, none of that. I used to always get asked when I was doing stand-up comedy on a regular basis, I'd start dating somebody and the girl would go, oh, God, I'm going to end up in your act, and I'd go, only if you fuck up. I said, you've never seen a comedian get up there and go, my girlfriend is the greatest girlfriend in the world, you know, and here are the awesome things that we do. That's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's when we have our flaws, that's when, and even ourselves, when you're self-degrading, that's funny. When you point out right. your own flaws, you know, that's how we laugh at ourselves. Otherwise, we go crazy. Anyway, let's get on with it. Um, as always, uh, ladies first, uh, let's go with round number one, and let's see what sin you're going to start with, which uh, – take it away. Well, I w- I'm going to start with my favorite of all the sins, which is lust. And uh, we're going to go with Lolita um, from 1962. Um, directed by my favorite director of all time, Stanley Kubrick. And um, it stars James Mason, Shelley Winters, and Sue Lyon. And I cannot uh, neglect to bring in the fact that Peter Sellers just does an amazing job in this movie. It's uh, (sighs) – I don't even know how to describe – um, his performance, but it's it has to be seen to be believed. Um, now, what's the basic as, plot of Lo, what's the basic plot of the film? So the basic plot is this college professor um, becomes uh, infatuated with a teenage girl and ends up moving into her house. Uh, starts a pseudo romance with her mother, really to just get close to the girl, and it all goes terribly, terribly downhill. Yeah, it's a a classic for sure, and I mean, I was just going to joke and say this has to be fiction because this never happens in real life, ever. (laughs) (laughs) No, nobody's ever dated their professor, male or female or otherwise. Yeah, I mean, this is... This movie um, was, of course, at the time shocking, but now it's um, this movie's been made over and over and over. Even how many remakes have been done of this? One or two? Um, Well, as far as I know, I only know of one other uh, version, and that's the one with Jeremy Irons, which I can watch this, the 1962 Lolita. And not get terribly creeped out 
by what's going on because back then they just were not going to get graphic with the relationship uh, between um, James Mason and Sue Lyon. But in the Jeremy Irons version, it's graphic, and that's a little over the top. Uh, that one I've seen once, and that's all I needed to do, because like, I, I really like him. And so I was willing to, you know, I wanted to see what they would do with it, you know. And um, they did it all, and I don't need to yeah. see that again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was definitely a uh, non-rated version put out on video of that mo- that one, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, this it hasn't been, it's been remade a million times and not called Lolita. And it's either, you know, the... Uh, the girl next door and the creepy guy, you know, that moves into the, you know, place next to the, next to the, you know, family and the innocent girl and the, the yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's been done over and over and over and over again, and they keep making it because it makes money when it's done right or it's done creepily. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a regular, uh, theme, um, for better or for worse in how, in, uh, filmmaking, that they just keep going back to the well on this plot. Yeah, I think um, the real testament of how um, amazing Kubrick is and uh, everyone who acted in this movie is that it is a shocking subject, but it, it is done tastefully, and you are really engrossed with the the entire story, and you don't feel so icky there's a there's a little sheen of that, but mostly you're just fascinated by you know what's happening because all the characters are so compelling. Um, it's shot really well. It's beautiful, and um, uh, I mean it's it's this this one's a ten in my book. There's I agree. I mean does not it, go it, wrong anywhere. Right, and I mean it, what you were just saying and going along with that. I mean Kubrick. The reason he was such a great director is he always put human behavior under the magnifying glass. And that's why when he would direct, he wouldn't want just one performance. He drove his actors crazy having them. But he wanted to catch all these different takes of, you know, how people really act as opposed to them acting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I mean... That's why the theme, as I already said, has been done over and over again. It's it's a flaw in human behavior. Unfortunately, there are dirty men, dirty old men, <laughs> <laughs> that can't be with a woman their own age, and there's some mental flaw, and it just happens. It's why we have serial killers. It's why we have, you know, uh, cougars. It's why we have, which I'll get into in one of my movies. I mean, we're all flawed, and movies are yeah and here's the thing maybe people that don't focus on lolita herself is not innocent in all of this i mean she's she's a little predator herself and totally takes advantage of the situation so it's uh i mean you could excuse her by the fact that she's well she's 14 years old but her actions are definitely not that of your typical 14-year-old. And speaking of which, my youngest daughter, you know, she's a, she just turned that same age. And <laughs> it is frightening to think that, 
you know, she would even be anything remotely close to what we see Lolita, <laughs> the way we see her behave in this film. Yeah, hey, I don't know if I've used this quote on the show before, maybe on another one of my podcasts, but I mean, it's what you're dealing with is what every parent deals with. And it's my favorite line of Chris Rock's stand up uh, show, uh, Bigger and Blacker. And it's, I have one job on this earth, people, with my teenage daughter. And I'm successful if I do it. And that's, I got to keep my daughter off the pole. I mean, (laughs) you remember that? Uh, Yeah. It's like, that's, yeah. He's like, if I do that in this life, I'm a great dad. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Well, that was an awesome start with lust. I am going to start my round one with envy. And uh, nothing brings out envy more than uh, a classic monster movie. Um, and this is another, the, like the million three telling of it at the time. Bram Stoker's Dracula in 1992, directed, of course, by uh, Francis Ford Coppola. And the reason I'm using envy with this is, I mean, it's the classic Dracula story. And you have, uh, you know, Vlad, Count Dracula, um, uh, of course, envious that, you know, he's, you know, a night walker and all that. And he falls in love with the innocent Mina. Uh, Gary Oldman, of course, in this version plays uh, Vlad or Dracula. And uh, Winona Ryder, who was super white hot shit at the time, uh, playing Mina and looking hotter than hell in her period uh, garb in uh, Victorian London. And then uh, he's just, he's jealous of, uh, you know, he he wants, there's envy all over the place in this movie, basically. He's envious of her marriage and, you know, relationship with uh, uh, her husband. And uh, everybody's envious of everybody in this film, I think, in one way or another. Well, you've got Lucy and her mini suitors, you know. So there, there's that going on, and uh, uh, trying to think what 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 other envy is. Happening well, you have Tom Waits, Renfield. Renfield is uh, you yes, know, yeah. <laughs> Renfield's a freak, and you know he's envious of everybody else's normalcy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's all over the place. I mean, I love this movie. I saw this in junior college. And we, it was at a journalism conference in Chicago, and we got to see it a week early. And James V. Hart, the screenwriter, was actually there. And it was awesome to be able to just hear how, how he really wanted to, how Coppola and him really wanted to, you know, tell the classic tale, but give it enough panache to make the uh, 90s audience happy. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think it was successful. I, I, it's super stylized. This thing won an Oscar for uh, costumes and uh, hair and makeup. And it's just super lush. The color red is all over the damn place. Uh, you have Annie Lennox doing the like haunting and lovely song at the end, the love song for a vampire, which I played the crap out of after I saw the movie. And uh, of course, you just have the killer cast. The, the only, only, only flaw in this film, and I think you can pinpoint it out, yes. 
<laughs> you want to say oh. it? Go ahead. Yes. Keanu Reeves. Oh, yes. He is a blight <laughs> on this film. He is the boil on the face of of you, this movie you, you, because it, it, I agree yeah. with you absolutely. The cast is killer. Everything is amazing. It just looks perfect. It's beautiful. And then you, every time he speaks, I mean, people in the audience were just laughing. And oh, yeah. I don't think that is the um, response that uh, they were wanting to, to get out of the audience. But, it, I mean, and still to this day when I watch this movie, it's the same thing. I just add the word dude at the end of yeah. everything he says. <laughs> That's a great game. Yeah, I mean, it's Ted. <laughs> Ted it all of a sudden shows up in the film. I mean, this was before he got a little more nuanced with his uh, acting, and it's it, it's super horrible. It's just like, dude, like let's go get Dracula, yeah. <laughs> and his accent just comes oh. and goes, and it's not very good anyway. So you should just forget it. Don't even. Why did you try? Just <laughs> yeah. Uh. This- Coppola you can sometimes get really confused by because um, just why the hell would you let that happen? That was as bad as letting his own daughter be in Godfather 3. Just, oh, you know. What sucks about Coppola is when he wants to cast badly, he doesn't fuck around. He doesn't. It's just bad. (laughs) Really, 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 really bad. He's a hundred percent all the way. Oh yeah, he, he's he either one way do or anything another. in half yeah. measures. Yeah, we'll get to him later. I have another one of his films, strangely enough, on my docket. But uh, yes, envy, 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 all over the place in Bram Stoker's Dracula. If you haven't seen this version, you definitely got to check it out. So let's go to your round two, and what are you going with next? So I'm connecting my round one movie um, by uh, Shelley Winters, who was also in uh, 1955's Night of the Hunter. And this one is all about greed. Uh, it's, one of, to me, one of the best examples of <laughs> how greed can just drive you to be an awful, awful person. Um, oh, he's not. So the premise of this. Oh, oh God! I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't even know how to begin. Uh, so Robert Mitchum plays this uh, re- religious fanatic who meets a guy while they're in jail, and the man tells him about how he, uh, I think he robbed a bank, and he he's got ten thousand dollars and he, he's hidden it. And so when uh, Robert Mitchum's character gets out of jail, he goes looking for it. And he will do anything to get this money, including murdering innocent children. I mean, he's just – nothing is going to stand in his way. Yeah, this is the darkest character in, like, movie history. You can, you know, pull out a whole bunch of other people, but yeah – I don't remember a movie where, like, yeah, a guy was going to kill kids over money. You know, it was, it's just crazy, some of the scenes. I mean, the, the scene uh, that uh, 
we're going to play is just like, holy crap. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's genuinely, I mean, he's he's a scary guy. And what I really find scary about him is that I've encountered people like this in real life who are these, you know, right-wing Christians and have these, you know, very strict ideas about how people should behave. Meanwhile, they're doing nefarious things on their own end, you know, and that's, uh, I don't know if any of those people that I've met personally have killed, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So we're podcasting here, and there was a little bit of an audio issue with the audio, but now we're back. Regular listeners know that we like to play a clip of everything that we talk about. So let's back up two shakes and uh, want to talk up this clip of Lolita for us. Oh, I I believe uh, this clip is it's a. Uh, Humbert Humbert talking to Lolita about, uh, you know, he's he's starting to grow suspicious of her. Yeah, that's about the bottom line. And sorry to go out of order, people, but I was like, oops, now the audio is working. So uh, let's uh, enjoy a clip from Lolita. Yeah, old Roy and Rex just happened to sit down with us. Roy and Rex. The co-captains of the football team. I thought we understood no dates. What do you mean, no dates? They just sat down at our table. I don't want you around them. They're nasty-minded boys. Oh, you're a fine one to talk about someone else's mind. Don't avoid the issue. I told you, no dates. It wasn't a date. It was a date. It wasn't a date. It was a date, Lolita. It was not a date. It was a date. It wasn't a date. Well, whatever it was that you had yesterday afternoon, I don't want you to have it again. And while we're on the subject, how did you come to be so late on Saturday afternoon? Saturday, I went to my piano lesson. Your piano lesson? I thought that was on Wednesday. No, it was changed to Saturday, remember? Between two and four, Miss Starch, piano. Well, ask Michelle. She was with me. Ask Michelle. That's what you always say to me. So now, for a change, I'm going to ask you something about Michelle. <laughs> you can't have her. She belongs to a Marine. I will ignore that idiotic joke. Why does she give me these searching looks whenever she comes to the house? How should I know? Have you told her anything about us? No. Have you? You've told her nothing. You think I'm crazy? You're right about her. Damn. Yeah. And him, Spengali yeah, uh... Jesus. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> and the thing is, I, I think... Um, it that conversation really outlines what draws these these men that want to prey on these young girls. It's all about control, and she's she is thwarting him at every turn. She is really doing what she wants to do, and he's starting to realize, oh shit, what have I gotten myself into? Yeah, I mean this ha- this comes up. Like I said, this has been done over and over and over again. And if no, anybody out there has seen the uh, Phantom Thread, uh, P.T. Anderson's latest, it, it's the entire plot of the film. 
It's he thinks this, he's a um, Daniel Day Lewis in his final role is this fashion designer in fifties uh, London, and uh, he thinks he's seducing this young girl, totally Lolita, Lolita in her, and. Of course, we realize halfway through the film, she's been flipping the script on him the whole time, the whole time. And I mean, if it's a good version of Lolita, that's usually what happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get on to Night of the Hunter and a little bit of uh, speaking of control, so create crazy dude and uh Messing with kids' heads. All right, boy, where's the money? In the cellar. Buried under stone on the floor. It'll go hard if I find your lion, boy. I'm not lying. Go look for yourself. All right. Come along. Both of you, down those stairs. You don't reckon I'd leave you, do you, boy? Well, don't you believe me? Why, sure, boy, sure. Right, where now? Mine, no tricks now. I can't abide a liar. Yonder. Abomination before mine eyes. Speak, boy. Where's it hid? <laughs> Speak. <laughs> Speak, or I'll cut your throat and leave you to drip like a hog hung up in butchering time. Shut up! You swore. Save him, little bird. It's not my doll. It's not my doll. <laughs> the dog. <laughs> Why, sure. <laughs> Last place anybody think to look. She's about six. <laughs> I know, I know, but she's. 
boy's got it all figured out, you know, probably going to hit him over the head or something. Nope. <laughs> no, no. Doesn't he sound just like the scariest person ever? And all that growling and, uh, he's just, he is scary. Oh, yeah, he's like an animal. He really is. He He's like an animal. I, now, this was directed by Charles Lawton, right? Um, yeah. I think this was, yeah, I think this is the first thing he directed. Um, of course, famous actor that acted in everything back then. But this was his, like, big, dark movie he'd always wanted to make. And, yeah, I mean, I remember seeing this in film school, and we all just, like, nobody could talk afterward. We're like getting on the subway going home and nobody could say anything. We were just like aghast. <laughs> like Han- Hannibal Lecter don't got shit. Hannibal, Han- well, like Hannibal Lecter don't got, you know, shit on him because he's just Oh, like, no. He'll kill anybody. Anybody. <laughs> Dark ass heart. Excellent choice. Excellent choice for greed. Um, I'm going to move on and Gary Oldman from Bram Stoker's Dracula, I'm going to use, and I'm going to move on to my favorite example of sloth I've ever seen in movies. And it's of course his uh, character, his uh, couch surfing character, Lloyd in true romance, Tarantino's 1993 film that he wrote and Tony Scott, uh, happy afterlife to you, my brother uh, directed this classic. And uh, of course it has the colorful characters that, are in all Tarantino films. And the plot line is that Clarence played by Christian Slater uh, gets set up with a prostitute named Alabama Worley played by Patricia Arquette on his birthday. And of course they go on a date to see a Sonny Chiba revival in very Tarantino fashion and wackiness ensues. And it gets even weirder when uh, he decides to marry the prostitute and then go to uh Gary Oldman's character uh, Drexel, who's her pimp, and Love I'm not going to play that scene. Um, but it's such, every, everybody knows that scene. You know, I may be pretty, but as pretty as a pair of titties, where uh, the Mac is playing in the background, and uh, Slater, of course, has to point out. You know, uh, you know, he's all nervous, and Drexel's like, you know, man, you've been clocking me the whole time, blah, 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 and all that. But everybody knows the scene. Everybody's seen this movie. But just, I always, the comedy relief du jour in this movie is is Lloyd. Uh, And and Brad Pitt couldn't do, like, a a better job in this film. Uh, what, What are the things you like about True Romance? Um, you know what? I hadn't I have not watched this movie in a really long time. I loved it um when it first came out and I I've watched it repeatedly and I would say it's probably been a decade since the last time I watched it. But I my favorite scene was when, you know, Christian Slater and uh Patricia Patricia Arquette wow, I cannot Patricia Enunciate. Uh-huh. You got it. Um, <laughs> when they uh, go to Drexel's place, and yeah. or is it is it his place or is it Brad Pitt's it's place? It's Drexel's place. It's Drexel's okay. place. Okay. Yeah. When they first walk in there, and it's just a freak show. I mean, Gary Oldman. Um, so <laughs> I 
don't even know how to describe plays, what came play, over he me. Plays the, he plays the best wigger in film history. It's That's amazing. The- and you know what's, what's funny is, like, so he's doing that. Meanwhile, Michael Rappaport is in this movie, and – that's kind of his thing. Yeah. Yeah, but that's in too, a weaker yeah. sort of way. Yes. <laughs> uh, Tar- Tarantino uh, tries to pull that crap off himself in real life. So, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've seen. He's a, he's a lover of exploitation films and sometimes likes to play the roles from the exploitation films. Um, a lot of black exploitation films, too. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, and of course, before I play this clip, we, everybody also knows the famous, uh, you have Christopher Walken in here and he does the greatest talk about a watch, his father's watch. <laughs> oh, I carried this watch up my ass. <laughs> Was that in this movie? Why was I thinking it was in Pulp Fiction? Nope. Nope. That was uh, ah. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, you're are... right. I'm sorry. I got them mixed up. I'm thinking of the uh, Dennis Hopper. Sorry, everybody out there. It's been a, it's been a, a hangover morning. But, yeah, there's the Dennis Hopper uh, speech in here. That's, that's the big... Uh, Tarantino speechifying scene in this movie uh, where he's uh, trying to not sound like a racist, but he is. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's 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 play uh, uh, Lloyd and all his glory. Hi, how you doing? Uh, pretty good. You Dick? No. Dick Richie? No, he's not here right now. You live here? Yes, I do. His sort of uh, roommate? Exactly, roommate. Yeah, well, maybe you can help me. I'm looking for a friend sure. of mine. Clarence Worley from Detroit. Traveling with a real pretty girl named Alabama. Oh, yeah, man, I know him. They've been by here. You seen them? Mm-hmm. They stay in here? No, they're staying at the Safari Motor Motel Inn. Safari Motel. Safari Motel? Yep. How do you know that? I mean, have you been over there? No, well, they were here, and they said that they were going to go there, and they went. Yeah? Yeah, Safari, Safari Motel. Safari Motel. Uh-huh. Hey, you want to watch some TV or something? They might be back here. No, no, thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right, you take care. I might be back. Yeah, man. Okay, be cool. Condescend me, man. Anybody that lives in Los Angeles knows has known somebody like him at least once in their life, either shown up at somebody's house when you get out here to L.A. And who's this person? Oh, he's been sleeping on my couch for like a month and he won't leave. And it's just part of the culture here in Los Angeles, especially just because everybody comes out here trying to live the dream and nobody has a job when they get out here and all of a sudden you're couch surfing all over and uh, I haven't had to do it. Thank God. But you you run into the the Lloyds of the world over and over and over again. (laughs) Uh, It's it's pretty sad. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, and and they have a True Romance Fest here in Los Angeles, and where you get to stay is a safari, as he says, motel, motor, in whatever. <laughs> You stay there, and they have like a whole Branson Pinchot shows up, and they show the movie in the parking lot, and it's great, and like drive-in style, and it's really fun. Oh, that that sounds fun. Do people yeah, come yeah. in costume? Surely they do. Oh, oh God, yeah. Oh, totally. You, you see all these pictures. A lot of a lot of clearances. Lots of uh, tons and tons of Drexels, as you may imagine. You I know, figured. Drexel's, try, Drexel's trying to uh, outdo Drexels, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go on to uh let's go on to Trista's round three. What you got? So connecting uh through Robert Mitchum, uh my next movie is Cape Fear from nineteen sixty two and this one's all about wrath. And here's the I mean interesting part. Um as scary as Robert Mitchum was in Night of the Hunter, he's just as fucking scary in Cape Fear. Maybe even scarier. Um, he is a, a convict, an ex-con. He gets out of jail, and he's decided he is going to punish uh, the lawyer that um, got him put into jail and he's going to do it by not just punishing the lawyer, but he's going to take it out on the guy's whole family because that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In nasty movies like this one, yeah. And, of course, there's the remake uh, that was done by Scorsese, right? He did the remake mm-hmm. um, with uh, De Niro in the Mitchum role. But I don't think uh, – I, I, it's a good version, but the original, this, if, if you've watched the De Niro version and you haven't watched the original, you're jipping yourself because I agree. Robert Mitchum, when he turns it on, he turns it on and he really knows how to play a nasty individual. That's for sure. And again, um, just like willing to kill kids here, he's willing to torture a family. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, you know, I'm, I thought that uh, De Niro did a decent job in the role, but uh, the difference between the two is that Robert Mitchum, I feel, was genuinely scary, whereas um, De Niro just, it was kind of, I don't know, kind of more freak showish, like, wow, this guy is crazy. <clears throat> but I never really felt afraid of him, whereas. Uh, Robert Mitchum was way more believable uh, as, you know, just this, he's going to bring down the hammer of God on these people. Yeah, definitely some hardcore, uh, some hardcore wrath action going on. Um, Let's play, uh, let's play a clip from the movie. Hello, counselor. Remember me? Gregory Peck. Robert Mitchum in the nightmarish thriller Cape Fear. Eight years ago, I was a witness against a man. He was sent to prison. He's out now and blames me for his conviction. Say, she's getting to be almost as juicy as your wife, ain't she? I think you're starting a war of nerves with me. Don't mind me, Counselor. I'm 
Just get the gander at the rest of your family. I can't do anything more without an overt act. Like a neat little murder? You're going to be old and gray before I ever leave this town. A type like that is an animal. So you've got to fight him like an animal. It'll be murder. Do you want to ruin all of us? I got something planned for your wife and kid that they ain't never going to forget. They ain't never going to forget. Stop it, you? How do you stop a psychopath who has nothing to lose? He's here. He's here. Co-starring Polly Bergen, Telly Savalas, and Martin Balsam. A masterpiece of terror directed by J. Lee Thompson. Cape Fear. Telly Savalas. Nice. You got everybody in there. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, you know, that part about, uh, you know, he's an animal and you got to fight an animal like an animal, uh, you know, that is also kind of uh, Gregory Peck's character has some wrath of his own. Like he's got to get down and dirty to fight this guy. Yeah, and I think that's what's missing in the remake is that wasn't played up as much. It was more a typical, you know, De Niro vehicle and just Mm -hmm. the father had to just grow some girl pair. But in this one, yeah, he like, uh, Peck's character definitely has some demons of his own and that layers the film. It's kind of like who's, you know, there's a bad guy in all of us sort of, uh, you know, uh, theme going on with that. All right. Well, let's move on to my next one, my round three. And we are going to take good old uh, Sexiest Man Alive former Brad Pitt. And back when he was pretty much uh, on the front of People magazine all the time, I'm going to go with Pride and uh, Thelma and Louise, 1991, definitely uh, – uh, women that have to have pride and women that stick up for themselves. This was the ultimate road movie in the 90s, and it flipped the road movie on its head because most road movies were, you know, two guys, you know, your Melvin and Howards, your whatever, going across the country. And uh, Ridley Scott, Tony Scott's brother, uh, directed this film. And basically, it's Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon uh, forced to go out on the road because. Uh, Gina Davis is just a meek, mild-mannered, homebody woman, and her husband sucks, and um, it, it, she needs to go out on the road and get away from him. And uh, I love that Marion Faithful's Ballad of Lucy Jordan is used in this film because even though the song predates this movie by probably at least a decade, I mean, the themes are all the same. And just a woman trapped in her life and she needs to get out. And uh, she gets taken out on the road by Susan Sarandon, who is, you know, much wilder, much crazier, uh, a waitress. And uh, it's supposed to just be a fishing trip to let their hair down. Well, unfortunately, uh, Susan Sarandon's character gets, uh, Louise gets, uh, almost raped and uh, so they have to go out on the lamb because this isn't uh, these weren't the days of me too. 
and unfortunately it was the man's word against the woman still back in the 90s and they need to go out on the road and they uh, meet a whole bunch of other prick men as I'll play in my clip <laughs> it's just, this was definitely just like a uh, it turns into kind of a battle of the sexes movie and um, the women have to be prideful and uh, unfortunately it turns into possibly a uh, a deadly situation at the end of the movie as everybody knows the famous ending that um, of them going off the cliff and holding hands and going off the cliff. And did you know that they actually filmed a version where they lived? I had heard that. Mm-hmm. I don't know all the details around it, but I did hear that. It exists. It exists. They filmed it because the studio saw the first screening and flipped out said, wait a minute, do they live or do they die? And Ridley's like, it's ambiguous. We don't know. And they're like, well, we can't have people thinking that they're committing suicide off a cliff. That's crazy. You know, we need to be responsible. Freaking stupid Columbia Pictures. And they actually filmed the scene where, like, the car miraculously lands and they drive off. Wow. No. Yeah. (laughs) Like, supernatural Terminator bullshit. And then they showed that to a test screening. They're like, well, that's even more ridiculous. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. You have any memories of Thelma and Louise? You know what? You got me beat on this one. I have never seen this movie. Really? Uh, never saw it. Um, I don't know why. I I just, for some reason, I mean, I'd heard so much about it. I could probably tell the whole story, even though I've never watched it. I've seen enough clips from it, and I know, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much what it's about. But, yeah, this one, this is one of the ones where I was like, oh, it's, I still haven't watched this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a hardcore plot though. I mean, Thelma almost Thelma shoots a guy, and they go on on the lamb, and they're heading from Mexico, and you get Harvey Keitel as the highway patrolman, and I mean, the, the Brad Pitt role in there is great. He's JD. He's a drifter that uh, ends up uh, sleeping with uh, Gina Davis's character, and you know, we can get some lust going on there too. But, I mean, this film is in the Library of Congress, for crying out loud, because of just it had such a cultural impact. Thelma and Louise, their characters ended up on the front of Time magazine. It was uh, it, it was like this and uh, Murphy Brown, you know, uh, getting pregnant single, you know. <laughs> that was the 90s. These were the I hardcore issues. If I if I wanted to, you know, try to analyze myself and figure out why have I not watched this I think part of it could be um, I've seen this same theme done in other kinds of movies where the women are you know super strong characters that have to just live life on their own terms and you know perhaps they end up sacrificing their lives at the end sometimes they don't I think i when it's done in a mainstream movie like this, I'm not as attracted to it as opposed to watching like a women in prison movie where the girls stage this all out crazy 
breakout and then they get to be free at the end or they don't get to be free. They get mowed down with bullets. Like I think that is more appealing to me than watching Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis live this. You know, I I don't find them even I mean, I'm a woman and they're women, but I don't think I identify enough with them to be interested in that. I, I do want to see it at some point because I feel like it's part of my duty as a person that loves movies to actually watch this film, but it's really low on my, you know, my list of over like 9,000 movies that I need to watch. Well, no, that's why I do this show with you is because you are a hardcore genre person and I I totally love the fact that you'd rather see Wendy O. Williams ride out on top of a, you know, school bus at the end of a movie. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> That's see, a female empowerment see, movie. See? <laughs> That's that, that's your and Louise going off the cliff. I mean, I love that scene. <laughs> Nothing's better than Wendy O. Williams riding on top of a school bus out of a prison. I mean, that that's the best. Anyway. <laughs> and go Google that reference. We're not gonna tell you what it is. Go figure it out, kids. Yeah. <laughs> that's your homework assignment. <laughs> we can't tell you everything. That's the Easter egg of this D V D. Okay. That <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's play uh Thumb and Louise dealing with the perverted trucker. Hey, David! You ready for a big dick? going? Fresno? We've been seeing you all over the place. Why don't you take off those shades? I want to see your eyes. Yeah, I've been seeing you too. Yeah, we think you have really bad manners. <laughs> yeah, where do you get off behaving like that with women you didn't even know? Huh? <laughs> huh? How'd you feel if somebody did that to your mother? Or your sister? Or your wife? Huh? What are you talking about? You know good and damn well what I'm talking about. I mean, really? That business with your tongue? What is that? That is disgusting. And oh, my God, that other shit of pointing to your lap. I mean, what is that supposed to mean exactly, huh? I mean, does that mean pull over? I want to show you what a big, fat slob I am. Yeah, or does that mean suck my dick? You women crazy. You got that right. We think you should apologize. I ain't apologizing for shit. You say you're sorry. That. You say you're sorry, or I'm going to make you fucking sorry. Oh, Jesus. I bet you even called us favors on your CB radio, didn't you? Yeah, sure did. Damn, I hate that. I hate being called a beaver, don't you? You going to apologize or what? Fuck you! Damn you! 
I don't think he's going to apologize. Nah, I don't think so. And that's a lesson to you boys out there. Never call a woman a beaver on your CB radio, if you know what a CB radio is. A <laughs> beaver. <laughs> Does anybody use beaver. that term anymore? Uh, it's very retro, man. <laughs> yeah. Even for the nineties, that's that's pretty uh isn't it that's like a seventies term, right? Yeah, very seventies porn term, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get on to your round four. Trista, what you got? So uh, connecting through Gregory Peck, we're moving on to uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, from, which is also from 1962. He kicked ass in 62. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, uh, we're focusing on the sin of pr- uh, pride. And uh, if you don't know what this movie is about, either you've been like buried somewhere for all of your life and you just dug yourself up or you're very illiterate because most kids had to read this book in school or you know it could be our school system is going down the drain anyway so maybe it's not entirely your fault but um, it's one of the best novels ever Uh, and it's all about um, Atticus Finch one of the best names ever. Um, he's a lawyer in the South, um, and this is, I believe, during the Depression. And um, he is defending a black man who has been accused of raping a white woman. Um, and pride pay, pay, plays a big part in this film, um, particularly with the family of the the woman who is the accuser, they're what you would call poor white trash. They're dirt farmers, basically. And the whole pride issue is that she, um, you know, what's the best way to put this, Greg? She um, showed affection towards this black man. And her pride demands, as a white woman, even though she's trashy and poor, her pride demands that she has to call that that he raped her, not that she felt something for him at all and wanted attention from him. Mm -hmm. And her family's pride demands that, you know, this man has to die for what he's done, for touching her. Yeah, I mean, this is... I so full disclosure. I have, of course, had to read this book in school, but I get I've gotten made fun of by people when this was shown in film school. I missed the day, and I've never gotten around to seeing this movie, just like you've never gotten around to seeing Thelma and Louise. <laughs> well, you get a pass because you've actually read the book. Yes, um, yes I and did. it's an amazing novel. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. It's an incredible story, and yeah, I mean, it's a classic. It's a it, it, another Library of Congress film, and as you said, Gregory Peck was on fire. I mean, in his prime, I mean, he was just amazing, and he's amazing. Um, I hear in the movie, you can speak to that more than I can. 
Well, I think the clip that you're going to play, um, it has, I, I believe it is his speech yes. um, when he's defending uh, the black man that's been, a tra- been uh, accused of rape. And you'll just see, I mean, throughout the entire film, you can just, he is dripping with integrity. This is the guy that you wish your dad was. <laughs> he's just that. He's like, he's a single father. I think he's a widower. And he's got two kids, and he's just raising his kids right, and he's doing, you know, what's right for the community. You know, he knows that there's this big racial divide, but he's going to do the right thing. And, uh, yeah, I love it. Play the clip. She did something that in our society is unspeakable. She kissed a black man. Not an old uncle, but a strong, young, Negro man. No code mattered to her before she broke it. But it came crashing down on her afterwards. The witnesses for the state, with the exception of the sheriff of Macon County, have presented themselves to you gentlemen, to this court. And the cynical confidence that their testimony would not be doubted. Confident that you gentlemen would go along with them on the assumption, the evil assumption, that all Negroes lie, all Negroes are basically immoral beings, all Negro men are not to be trusted around our women, an assumption that one associates with minds of their caliber. And which is in itself, gentlemen, a lie, which I do not need to point out to you. And so, a quiet, humble, respectable Negro, who has had the unmitigated temerity to feel sorry for a white woman, has had to put his word against two white people. The defendant is not guilty, but somebody in this courtroom is. Now, gentlemen, in this country, our courts are the great levelers. In our courts, all men are created equal. I'm no idealist to believe firmly in the integrity of our courts and of our jury system. That's no ideal to me. That is a living, working reality. Amen. Damn. Wow. <laughs> Did you, were you not inspired by that? I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, Atticus, yes. Atticus yeah. for president. That's who oh. we need. Yeah, we need more people like him. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> What's scary, what's really, really, really scary is everybody could say, well, back then, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's, that was a court case and blah, 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 blah. And unfortunately, we're backsliding like crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It gets, it gets worse and then it gets better and then it gets worse and then it gets better. Uh, the world is a cycle. It sucks. <laughs> it really sucks. <laughs> All right. Um, 
excellent choice there for pride. Let me move on to I'm finally getting to my lust. And took you a while. Well, nothing says You had to get lust. worked up into it? I I had definitely had to get worked up into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't don't tell uh HR on me. Don't tell six degrees of retro HR department that I had to get worked no. up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh nothing brings out the lust in me more than Susan Sarandon. I got a thing for redheads and it's funny. We were I was sitting around with a friend of mine, Lauren, one time, and uh, we, we we were working at Variety to get up and lunch. And for some reason, we got on this crazy subject. And I want to hear somebody from you on this. Uh, we played this game because she's like, God, you know, Peter O'Toole is still hot. I don't care how old he is. I'd still fuck him. And I'm like, well, okay, I got Susan Sarandon, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we just kept going back and forth. And I was like Tina Turner. And she was like, you know, picking out, you know, every, all, all, all older dudes that she would still get it on with. Like we, that we would still lust after. So are there any older actors or that you would be uh, still willing to bed no matter what age they are? Well, it's funny you are bringing this up um, with the movie that you're you're about to discuss because James Spader, it's not so much that he looks old, it's just he expanded. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd still give it up for him. I just... <laughs> even, was, black, even Blacklist version James Spader. <laughs> I would still be like, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to think of, you know, uh, pretty and pink. I'm gonna close my eyes and think of that, <laughs> and that's what's <laughs> happening right now. <laughs> Steph was the man for me. Mm-hmm. Well, that is odd that I picked this film, then, isn't it? Because I mean, they were <laughs> the two hot shit, sexy people at that time. And the trailer I'm gonna play, the trailer I found is just—it's way over the top, but it really fits the mood of the film, and that's why they cast it the way they cast it. I mean. Uh, Susan Random plays a total barfly waitress, another waitress again. That was, I guess, her thing in the 90s. The movie's White Palace in 1990. And uh, Sarandon's a cougar. You know, this is a uh, every guy's fantasy, older woman, cougar, you know, younger guy, uh, uh, James Spader, hot, right off of Sex Lies of Videotape, like insanely good looking at the time and uh spader plays max a uh he's a businessman and he just lost his wife and of course he's drowning his sorrows and uh falls in love with the woman at the working at the white palace the white for you midwesterners the white castle and uh you know, smoldering sex ensues. I mean, that's pretty much the plot of the film. Uh, but we get it, it, it. I like this film a lot, Tristan, because it gets a little bit deeper than the sex scenes. And it's really about class and the fact that it's, they're of course um, struggling with the fact that she's older and he's younger, but also, you know, she's kind of just a free spirit, you know, living her life as it comes and 
uh, he had his shit together and now he is stumbled and he starts looking at their relationship as his stumble and then can't deal with it when his uh, rich friends are like, you know, why are you bringing her around? Who the hell is she? And it's, 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 it's got some good layers to it. You'd think it would be very cut and dry and it's just a fun film. You have Kathy Bates shows up as her best friend. Uh, you have Jason Alexander. Um, you have Eileen Brennan and it's just. Uh, it's pretty and pink for adults. It, it is. It's the same story. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit more about it, but I got I to gotta play this trailer. I, I love that I found this trailer online. It's just so overblown. Here's White Palace. I bought 50 burgers. You gave me 44. Now, what's the problem? Do I get my money back or do I go to the manager? Yo, buddy. Listen, I'd like to get my hammer. Right, just, just, right. just leave Mr. Sarah alone. He's trying to report a robbery here. In 1988, she seduced the screen with the year's sexiest performance in Bull Durham. You looking for trouble? Maybe you should take your hand off my thigh. I have that on your back. In 1989, he gave on-screen romance a whole new meaning in sex, lies, and videotape. Just when things seem ordinarier, downright hopeless. Along comes that unexpected opportunity, right? Maybe. Now, Susan Sarandon. I'm 43. And James Spader. I'm 27. Are about to heat up the 90s. How did you meet Max? Came in for a burger. How <laughs> oh, romantic. She took his order and turned his life. Turn again. Where? Right here. Into chaos. Who is she? What if I don't answer that? She's gonna keep me in some little box and take me out whenever you feel like playing with me. What is that? She's a friend of mine. Her name is Nora. You be nice to her mother, or I'm gonna beat the hell out of you. I don't know what's happening to me. I have never wanted a woman as much as I wanted you. You crazy? What are you talking about? She's no swing chicken. What do you think of my boy? I only know that when I'm not with you, I'm a total wreck. And when you are with me? I'm a different kind of total wreck. Right from the start, they were wrong for each other. Now that's a trailer, man. (laughs) That's a hardcore trailer. If you don't want to go see that movie, nothing's going to get you to see it like that. Wow. Yeah. Now, here, you've got me again. I think we're, well, <clears throat> at this round, I think we're at a tie because I've never watched that movie in its entirety. Well, you, uh, I think you better, better watch this thing. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if it would beat my favorite, sexiest, you know, James Spader moment. Uh, out of everything that I've seen with him in it is secretary. So I don't know if this will do it for me, but I love him. I like Sarandon. I, I totally will get around to watching this one for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's on wonderful Blu-ray, 4K, whatever the hell it is now, and you can see every, you know, <laughs> 
every non flaw of both of them at the time. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a hardcore movie. Everybody go check it out. It's fun. So, uh, let's get into your round five. What do you have? Um, so round five is, uh, connected to the previous round by, uh, director Robert Mulligan. And, uh, this is, uh, called the other from 1972 and it's a, a horror movie. And the sin that, um, I wanted to focus on in this particular film is, uh, sorrow, which how is sorrow a sin? I guess sorrow is a sin if you don't move forward from it, but apparently, yeah, you're not supposed to be sorrowful. Um, great story. Um, it's based on a book that was written by uh, actor uh, Tom Tryon called The Other. And it is, on the surface, about twins who are wreaking havoc um, on the farm and in the, the neighboring area. Uh, we're talking about uh, killer kids here. And it's actually more than that, but I really don't want to give away too much of the plot of this film because if you haven't seen it, uh, it is one of my favorite horror movies of all time, and I think everyone should check this one out. The first time I saw this was uh, my parents, of course, took us to all, my sister and I to all kinds of inappropriate movies. <laughs> so I was 12. I was 12 seeing this movie oh. at the damn theater. It, it was, I, I've mentioned this before, they, the theaters back then were, they, well, they, they, this wasn't modern day where you'd show one movie and they cleared the theater. It was, okay, we're going to show the matinee and it was like a Charlie Brown movie or some cartoon kitty movie. And then there was the next movie. Well, my parents liked using the movie theater as the babysitter. So mm. they were like, you kids want to see and see the next movie? And I don't know. It looks kind of scary. Oh, my dad's like, yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this movie. Oh, yeah. Definitely killer kids. Holy crap. Like, between this and the little girl who lives down the lane, I was like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. I don't yeah, think and I'm not only is it it's killer kids, it's killer kids and kids getting killed. It's got yes. the double whammy going yeah. on yeah. Um, and as far as the sorrow I mean the whole film is just it's got this just sorrowful air about it I mean um, the mother um, played by uh, Diana Muldaur is just one of those you know old school kind of tragic heroines you know she's just basically a ghost of her prior self because she's had so much loss in her life. And then, you know, the grandma, just, um, you can tell there's an underlying sadness there. And I mean, just throughout, like it's, it's, it's depressing, (laughs) but it's also interesting to see like, what the hell is going to happen next with this? And then just, I mean, the shock of, the things that you see on screen. Yeah. I mean, back then in the seventies, especially, I mean, 
you didn't have a lot of special effects going on. This was pre-Star Wars, pre-blockbuster film. So movies actually had time to breathe, and there were a bunch of movies, and they all would end up getting shown on uh, TV uh, as, like, movies of the week, and they'd stretch these hour-and-a-half movies into three-hour spectaculars. And I remember just watching movies. I remember when the other would it would come on, and my folks were like, hey, let's watch it again. And it's it was the mood. The movies built on their mood. And it wasn't yeah. special effects, and it wasn't, you know, like in all the movies now, like The Conjuring. Sure, there's mood built, but you have the, you know, contorted kid and all the contorted people and the shit coming out of the walls and the CGI, whereas there was no CGI back then. They just had to put this insanely creepy mood to the whole yeah. film. Oh, my gosh. They had yeah. to – okay, the actors had to be on point. Um, yep. The director had to be on point. There was no, uh, you know, special effects to, you know, give it pizzazz. I mean, bail them out. This seems like, yeah, this is a real. I mean, this felt real. Like you are out on the farm, you know, experiencing things with this family. You know, watching the twins do their thing. Um, oh my gosh! And you've got a young. Uh, John Ritter in this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I would say his character is the only one. He and uh, I forget who plays his wife in the film. They're the only two that are fairly happy because they're young, you know, and and they haven't really been, uh, you know, they're still hopeful for the future. And then shit goes bad for them too. So it's like, there's only one tiny glimmer of hope in this film, and then you, that gets smashed for you too. So it's, yeah. Now we're going to play the trailer, and people might be getting a little upset at the fact that Trist isn't telling like the entire plot, and that was another difference. You kiddies out there back in the day, they'd run a trailer like this, and they'd scare the crap out of you with it and intrigue you into actually seeing the movie as opposed to showing you every goddamn scene where something jumps out in the trailer. And then you go see the movie and go, well, I'm not scared because I know it's coming. I, I mean, saw it all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the worst ad campaign for a movie uh, in the last five years to me was the remake of Poltergeist, which it's blasphemous to remake it anyway. But they wanted to update it, coming out of HD TVs and all that shit. But the because they have to have an icon on the poster. The icon on the poster is the clown. Oh Tristan, no! When you, when you saw fucking Poltergeist, what was the big surprise of the movie? The goddamn clown jumping out. The clown running. and the tree. The <laughs> yeah. clown and the tree were the two things yeah. I was like, holy shit! You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's what made you. <laughs> You thought, oh, it's just – and they didn't show that crap in the trailer. It was like, holy cow, whoa. I mean, they after the movie got popular, then there was a trailer later where it was, yeah, hey, look, here's the crazy clown. Remember the crazy clown, go see it again. But this is back when the trailer told you nothing. Just, we promise you, you're going to get the shit scared out of you. And one of my favorite things that have in trailers is, don't walk into this theater during the last two minutes of this film. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Sometimes it would pay off. Sometimes it would definitely not pay off. 
<laughs> All right, let's play this awesome trailer that I love of uh, the other. Life was good to the Perrys of Pequot Landing. For 300 years, they lived in this place. The generations were rich with love. And the most beloved of all were the twins, Niles and Holland. That summer, they shared a secret life in the apple cellar, in the nursery.
10, between 10 and 12, I think, the first time that I saw this movie. And it was on late-night TV. You know, I forget one of the local stations used to show a couple of uh, horror movies on a, you know, late Saturday night. And uh, I just, once I saw it, it just stuck with me forever. And then um, I saw the book in, uh, in the bookstore. So I read that, and it the movie is just as good as the book. It doesn't match entirely. Uh, I think there are some ideas in the book that just are would be hard to translate to film. At least back then they weren't really doing stuff like that. So uh, if there was ever a remake, please don't remake it. Anybody who just heard me that is in the movie industry, don't remake this movie. It doesn't need to happen. No, but, no. Uh, <laughs> The crap, CGI the crap out of it. Oh, that would be terrible. But if yeah. you haven't seen this, highly recommend. Yeah. This is one of those that I swear to I, I would I wish, I'm sure Tarantino has to have a 35 millimeter print of this and show it at his new Beverly. Like to see this on 35 again would be insane because of just the whole mood of the film. And watching it on film would be just so great. Yeah. Yeah, hearing in the trailer, uh, Robert Mulligan, I had forgotten that he directed Summer of 42. And that makes him the perfect director for this because he does have that that skill. He he has a way of uh, bringing out, of like knowing how to, you know, color a film with sorrow like have yeah. this underlying sadness throughout the film and it not so much so that you you know feel morbid watching it like why am i watching this is you know nothing good's going to come of this but you know th- there's a little there's something he's just got this magic i don't know what it is yeah definitely he's got mad skills for that oh yeah this movie is hardcore for sure <laughs> Everybody, go see the damned other. Go find it somewhere. It's got to be pl- got to be somewhere on something. Probably on Chiller. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. That's an awesome one. Um, I am going. My uh, round five is taking James Bader, your favorite. And this was when, back when he was still playing uh, supporting roles. Uh, in '87, he played. Uh, supporting role Roger Barnes who I believe was a stockbroker in uh, the movie Wall Street and of course mentioning Wall Street it just oozes greed this movie yeah. is greed incarnate like this movie um, they did a second part that I never watched trying to be timely but um, they might want to make another one for the Trump era because we whether you're for Trump or against Trump, it's all the class struggle is getting way, way, way real. And uh, this is directed by Oliver Stone in the very, very excessive, excessive 80s, the me generation is when people were spending money left and right. And the everybody thinks the everybody thinks it's new that the 1% is screwing everybody. Well, this was proven it back then in spades. Um, Charlie Sheen is our lead, and he plays uh, rising star stockbroker Bud Fox, and he is handsome as the devil in here. 
top of his game, probably coked out of his mind while he was filming it and doing peyote with Oliver Stone on the side. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you read the book Killer Instinct, um, uh, we all know that Oliver Stone, his meditations and his films have always been on excess, whether it be writing Scarface or um, even Platoon, The Excess of War. It, it's always excess with him and uh, the killer instinct is him is the book of him uh, making natural born killers. And basically to get into the characters heads and natural born killers, he did peyote throughout most of the shooting. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Explains a lot of that movie to everybody now, doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> it does. It, it feels like a trip. So that makes sense. Yeah. But on this one, he was probably doing coke because this one, this movie is very white collar. Uh, Bud Fox, the young stockbroker, he admires Gordon Gecko, the played by Michael Douglas, this icon of uh, screwing over the little man and making money. And uh, but Charlie Sheen is that uh, stockbroker with a heart of gold, let's say, uh, if there is such a thing, and. Uh, we learn, of course, in the film, you know, he can't quite be as shitty as Gecko, but uh, I think it's basically, I don't know if it's more of that or the fact that he gets fucked over by Gecko, so, because <laughs> Gecko fucks everybody over, as we find out through the film. Uh, you have a great cast in here, Martin Sheen, uh, of course, uh, Charlie's father, it plays his actual, his actual father in real life plays his father in the film. And then you have uh, beautiful Daryl Hannah, and uh, that's mean. I was I was gonna say beautiful Daryl Hannah and batshit uh, Sean Young, but they're both batshit. So <laughs> they're both beautiful and batshit. Yeah, I, sorry, Sean. You know, I'm not I'm not just gonna you know let Daryl off the hook. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I ran into her at the Las Feliz three here in Hollywood twice, and you just try and say hi to hi to her, try to say hi to her, and she's like, "Huh, what? Yeah, it's, it's fun." Where anyway, am I? Love you, Daryl. <laughs> love you. Love you. <laughs> uh, as we say in Hollywood, love you. Doesn't matter. Love you. Um, so of course, uh, gonna play uh, one of Gecko's uh, speechifying moments. There's a lot of. A lot of mansplaining, lots of speechifying, lots of, uh, um, uh, you know, him trying to explain away his illegal activity and, you know, say it's for the greater good. Uh, of course, it's just for the greater good of high society, not for us, you know, the working people. So uh, you have any memories of this movie? Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh I mean, I connect with it on on so many levels. Uh, you know, the the message behind the movie about uh, you know corruption and uh, kind of buying into the fact you know that you think you're supposed to live this certain lifestyle and there are some cutthroat things that you have to do in order to get there and everyone's fair game. Uh, I mean, this is. I mean, it's this movie is one of my tens. It's one of it's. I think it's a perfect film, and I'm not usually like that about 
you know, Oliver Stone movies. I think he has, I mean, he goes overboard all the time. But this is one of the times where I feel like what he did was appropriate in every way. Yeah, this seems like this is a rare time the studio was able to control him and actually get a really coherent film on all sides. And I actually think what you end up getting in a lot of his movies is you have actors that want to live the Oliver Stone experience. And oh, sorry. Just had a – my cat just uh, dumped dumped liquor all over the place. That's good. Oh, man. I- you have you we'll have going on there. Okay. <laughs> What's your cat's Please name? Please proceed. Uh, King Giorgio. King Giorgio giving us a uh, nice uh, cameo. Nothing better than that. <laughs> You're famous. You came cat. out of nowhere. <laughs> You're famous. How you were having too good of a time, and as every cat has to do, you know, as I used to stay in my comedy act uh, to pet owners that go, you know, you're lucky that that cat's letting you live in their apartment, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I know well who is in charge here. It's not me. Yes. No. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> all right. Let's, speaking of in charge, let's hear uh, some major, major, major speechifying uh, with Gecko to Bud Fox in Wall Street. Bought it 10 years ago for $60,000. I could sell it today for 600 The illusion has become real. And the more real it becomes, the more desperate they want it. Capitalism at its finest. How much is enough for them? The richest 1% of this country owns half our country's wealth, $5 trillion. One-third of that comes from hard work. Two-thirds comes from an inheritance, interest on interest accumulating the widows, the idiot sons. And what I do, stock and real estate speculation. It's bullshit. You got 90% of the American public out there with little or no net worth. I create nothing. I own. We make the rules, pal. The news, war, peace, spam, and upheaval, the price of paper clip. We pick that rabbit out of the hat while everybody sits out there wondering how the hell we did it. Now, you're not naive enough to think we're living in a democracy, are you, buddy? It's the free market. And you're part of it. Yeah. You got that killer instinct. <laughs> Stick around, pal. I still got a lot to teach you. Obviously. Oh, buddy, come on. Look, I was going to tell you about it, all right? Calm down, all right? We'll go up to the apartment tonight, have a little dinner. You bring dairy and... No, I, I can't. I can't make it tonight. Hey, buddy. Are you with me? I need to know if you're with me. I'm with you, Gordon. Natalie, I'll be right there. Yes, Mr. Yeah. Yeah, Ollie. Yeah. You tell them I want Ziploc mouths on the Blue Star deal, or I'm personally going to come down there and rip out their fucking throats. 
See, Trista, that's what you need to say to your cat. How much <laughs> is enough? How much is enough? Uh, well, he just spilled enough beer everywhere. Oh. It's, yeah. And then he, but he looks so damn adorable. Oh, of course. That's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. All all pets. Yeah. I did what? I did what? <laughs> <laughs> Who, me? It's, bad. it's as bad as a Gordon Gecko. You say one thing to your uh-huh. face and then, you know, go to the other side of the apartment or the house and, you know. Have their own agenda. Yeah, yeah, have their whole plot against you. Oh, no, I love you. I love you. Give me food. Oh, no, I'm going to upheaval this place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I right. love that clip that you played. Yeah. Uh, the whole movie is just filled. Can somebody just, I don't know, maybe someone's done this already on YouTube or something, but can we just have all of everything that Gordon Gecko says? All his, all his memorable quotes, just all put together. Yeah, I could have played the 15 minutes of, yeah, yeah. And I mean, he's a, he's a young Donald Trump, uh, you know. <laughs> it's true. Um, we laugh, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If only Gordon Gecko would have become a became a reality star. If only reality TV existed, then then and only then could he really screwed over the nation by getting elected. You know, by getting enough exposure. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's get on. Yes. <laughs> Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Uh, <laughs> thank you for not voting millennials. We appreciate it. Anyway. Uh. Yes. Leave the house. Do something. Anyway, we're getting very political here. Let's go on to <laughs> the final round. The final round. Uh, card girl out for final round. Um, what, what's your sixth film? Your sixth deadly sin? So my sixth deadly sin is Envy. And we are connecting through uh, the wonderful Diana Muldaur. And uh, the movie is The Swimmer from 1968. Uh, It is, um, I was going to say who directed it, but now I can't remember. I think more than one person ended up working on this movie. Um, It stars uh, Burt Lancaster. Burt Lancaster. And it is about this this man. He's uh, apparently, uh, you know, upper class gentleman. And he decides that uh, he is going to spend the day swimming to his house by going through, like, he's going to swim in all of his neighbor's pools and swim his way all the way back home with a pit stop at the community pool, which is not in his social strata, but, you know, he he knows the people that uh, hang out at the community pool. Um, It seems like a... When you when you talk about the premise of this film, it sounds like it's a lighthearted kind of romp where, oh, that's funny. He's going to go to all his neighbors' homes and swim in all their pools and make his way back home. And, you know, funny things are going to happen along the way. It's really a, a sad movie. Um, the, it's a really complex character. And you, with each pool that he goes to, 
you discover a little bit more. You know something's off the first time you see him. Like, why the fuck would this guy just randomly show up in the morning at a neighbor's house, like, and jump in their pool? Like, is that okay? When has that ever been okay? I don't know. But he shows up and, and does that, and then he decides that's when he declares, I am going to swim my way all the way back home by going via all of these pools. And it's a fascinating movie. This was uh, directed mostly by Sidney Pollock, uh, but co-directed with Frank Perry. And apparently it was a short story by John Cheever in The New Yorker that was the birthplace of it. So obviously trying to make a social commentary and nobody better than Burt Lancaster for crying out loud. Yeah, I saw this at Columbia College Chicago in film school, and it's just amazing. It's a it's a, has such a fun little build to it, and has a really you know smart social commentary. This was the late '60s, yeah, like '68, right? Mm-hmm. I think it came out. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting film, and the clip you picked was great too. Just the layers and layers of this character that you know, like an onion, just keep getting peeled and peeled off. And again, they, 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 I, I. They sometimes get around to making even art house films that are this, you know, deep, but it's rare. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's play the clip. It's a, uh, it's a really fun one. Where are we at here? Boom. Hey, wait a minute. This looks like my wagon. Sure, this is my wagon. This is my wagon. I wheel my kids around in it. You see that? That's why Ellen put a foot through and I mended it with plywood. This is my wagon, man. Now, what's the trouble here? <laughs> this is my hot dog wagon. Well, we bought it. You bought it? Yes, at a white elephant sale. Well, what the hell is it doing at a white elephant sale? Your wife must have donated it. Well, she had the right to do that. She knows I'm crazy about this thing. Take it up with her. Listen, I'll buy it back from you. Not interested. I'll give you I'll give you twice what you paid for it. I'll give you a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars? For that piece of junk? I want to buy this wagon back. Name a price and I'll send you a check. You'll send me a check. <laughs> I'm taking this thing home with me. Hands off you. You crashed in. Now crash the hell out. Go on, beat it! I'll have my lawyers get in touch with you tomorrow. Yeah, you do that. Awesome. <laughs> that's my wagon. It's my wagon. I'll buy and it that's back what this whole, this whole film is really about, like, metaphorically speaking. Everybody has their wagon. They don't want anybody else to touch it. It's all about one-upmanship. And, I mean, <clears throat> this guy is... Um, He's in a bad situation, and none of these people are concerned. You know, as he's, you see as he's uh, swimming along, you find out more of his story. No one is concerned. No one gives a shit. Nope. Half of them nope. are glad to see that he's fallen so far, and the other half are, couldn't be bothered because he's now in a lower situation than, you know, than they are. So he doesn't really 
he's not a person. He's not a person of consequence anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's so weird that we talk about themes just, fo- you know, keep following and following, following through filmdom. And, I mean, it's a, it, you could run this film about now, and unfortunately it's the same way with the world. <laughs> there are the yeah. people that when – Every everybody every you know everybody's your friend when stuff's going good, and then it's like oh did you hear about Bob oh do you still talk to him oh yeah yeah poor Bob yeah whatever you know <laughs> did you invite him yeah. to the party I no I didn't invite him to the party well why didn't you invite him to the party it's the same bullshit every generation over and over and over again and it's why I wanted to do this whole sins thing is this film is back in the late sixties and I hate to say it, the exact same thing would happen if you made the film today, exact same thing. If it took place in an affluent neighborhood now that people would just drop you, drop you like a hot, hot pan. If you, you know, screwed up, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, it's, that's what I love about, you know, this movie in particular, because you know, over the years, I've seen lots of great films, and at one point, you know, maybe around the time that they came out or for a certain span, they're relevant, and then they just become kind of a novelty, or, or it's, yeah, it's just interesting to watch, but this movie, um, it it's, the appeal is never going to go away, because the issue, as long as there are human beings on this planet, this will always be an issue. Oh, yeah. It'll never go away. Everybody can, you know, we're progressing, we're progressing. We, Like I said, we progress and then we slide. Yeah. <laughs> we have somebody in the White House and we think we got it all together and then society surprises us on CNN once again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, all of a sudden the president is saying the word shithole and you're like, Wow, what? really? Really? <laughs> really? And you got Wolf Blitzer sitting there, even though it's a shithole on the bottom of the screen for CNN, he's he's going, S-hole, S-hole. It's like, no, it's okay. This is the one time you could say it, Wolf. You're good. We are living in an alternate reality. I, I think something, somebody flipped a switch somewhere, and yeah. we're like in cloud cuckoo land right now. Trista, as I said on my Facebook page, and I, it's because of actually that, I, and I was like, okay, all the kids know what Black Mirror is now. Half of them don't know what Twilight Zone is. I'm like, we are now officially living in a Twilight Zone or Black Mirror episode. All of us, you know, we're in the Petri yeah. dish. We are. <laughs> but thank goodness we have movies as escapism still, damn it. And we can still speak. About yes. this stuff. So uh, I'm gonna bring up the uh, bring up the final film here. Bring up the rear and Martin Sheen, who of course was uh, uh, was in Wall Street, played uh, Bud Fox's father. I am going to end on Gluttony. And before I do this, I just want to be so proud of both of us when I picked this uh, theme. That there are a lot of uh, I'm not. I don't know them, but I'm sure there are a lot lesser podcasts that would have just dissected the movie seven. (laughs) (laughs) And neither of us picked the movie seven 
thank God. It's actually why yes. I wanted to be the six. I was We no. avoided it like a hot rock. Like we both oh, were yeah. like not touching that. <laughs> That's too easy. That's too easy for us. That isn't how six degrees of retro works here, people. We want to make it hard for ourselves. Yeah. I pick a bunch of nineties films and and uh, Trista picks a bunch of genre films that half people haven't heard of half of, but that's the beautiful part. That's how we learn about new movies and get interested in new stuff. But this film from 1979 is a classic and I'm going to end. I began with Coppola and I'm going to end with Coppola apocalypse now. And it's strange that you might, even though it might uh, spoil a lot of things, you might actually, if you've never seen Apocalypse Now, want to watch the documentary Hearts of Darkness, which came out uh, a few decades later and is about the insane trip of how Apocalypse Now got made and the madness that Coppola went into. And the reason I picked this for gluttony is because Coppola was a glutton on this film. He was power hungry, you know, you know, doing the uh, Godfather films and studio gives him a bunch of money. And he wants to make this story based on the book Hearts of Darkness. And it's uh, Martin Sheen's character. He's this uh, young soldier and he has to go out and find uh, he's Captain Willard and he takes a ragtag bunch of guys on a little Navy, little Navy vessel and has to go down this river in uh, Vietnam in 1970 and go track down Colonel Kurtz played by Marlon Brando. And we'll get to that gluttony in a minute. The uh, fact that the film was way going way over budget. Uh, Coppola kept rewriting the script and reshooting stuff over and over again. He was becoming a gluttonous perfectionist at the time. And he even, there's like a diary part of the film where he's just looking at the screen. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing that? And it's just this great testament about filmmaking back then. There, again, no CGI, all practical effects stuff, war stuff. And just, it, it the film ends up, be, it's art imitating life, imitating art. And uh, Coppola was in his, you know, his personal life was having turmoil also. And it all ends up on the screen. And the gluttony of Brando, uh, <laughs> as you well know, is the man, the, man, the man put on some weight. And when he showed up to shoot, the great Marlon Brando of Godfather was, you know, like Orson Welles on the wine commercials back in the day, like, whoa. And everybody wonders why, well, why did they shoot him only from, you know, the shoulders up? Well, there's a reason. <laughs> yeah. And Colonel Kurtz is just this guy that's, you know, at the end of the river and, and even his speeches are gluttonous. They're almost like uh, gecko-esque of the war. Just like all this, sh I've seen this and I've seen this shit and I've seen this shit and, you know, that's why I did what I did. And, you know, Martin Sheen's looking at him like, the fuck you say? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's like these soliloquies where he's just, you know, giving his point of view. And you can tell, I mean, the gluttony of this character is that yeah. I don't really give a shit what you think about what I'm saying. 
I'm just <laughs> saying what I want to say because yep. this is this is how it is. You know, uh, uh, this movie is um, fascinating. Yeah, have you seen Hearts of Darkness, the documentary? I watched it once. It's been a while. Yeah, I haven't seen I it in a while that when either. It first but came just out. stuff sticks to you, like. Just how crazy ass the whole shoot was, and the best part of the documentary is um, the scene in the movie where there's a cutout scene. I think part of it made it into the movie because I haven't watched the movie in about two three years, and it's where uh, Captain Willard uh, is drunk out of his mind. Oh yeah, and, and part of it ended up in the movie. He's like losing it and he's drunk out of his mind in his room in a room. And he Coppola just like got Martin Sheen blind drunk, gets him blind drunk and just films it and just like, okay, we're going to use this. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and Sheen, they like go to him afterwards. He's like, I don't even remember it being filmed. Like, <laughs> I think I had liquor poisoning the next day and like puked up a lung. Like, Jesus, thanks, Francis. You know, because he wanted that realism. Yeah, I mean, things they did back then that there's no way they could get away with it today. I mean, oh, maybe no. if no if everybody agreed not to tell, but some asshole's going to tell cuz that's Oh yeah. how things are. Yeah. I yeah, this movie is just a big bloated movie, but it, it's a classic and it's a great film. It it's for for what it is, warts and all is just a fantastic film about taking a journey into chaos and you get you get a great cast you have robert duvall and his famous i love the smell of, na- smell of napalm in the morning scene you have a super 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 young harrison ford and a really really baby-faced larry fishburne and yeah he yeah. was still larry back then yeah <laughs> I work on the Disney lot and I do see Lawrence walk around with the blackish cast all the time. Ah. <laughs> He's another one that blew up like uh James Spader. <laughs> Little That's bit, all I'm yeah. Say about that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well let's let's uh we have 5 minutes left. Let's squeeze this in. A wonderful uh, speech of three minutes speech of by Colonel Kurtz. I've seen horrors, horrors that you've seen, but you have no right to call me a murderer. You have a right to kill me. You have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me. It's impossible through words to describe what is necessary to those who do not know what horror means. friend of horror. Horror and 
friends. If they are not, then they are enemies to be feared. They are truly enemies. I remember when I was with special forces, seems a thousand centuries ago. We went into a camp to inoculate. Some children. We left the camp after we had inoculated the children for polio. And this old man came running after us and he was crying, he couldn't say. We went back there, and they had come and hacked off every inoculated arm. There they were in a pile, pile of little arms. And I remember, I, I, I cried, I wept like some grandmother. I wanted to tear my teeth out. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I want to remember it. I never want to forget it. I never want to forget. And then I realized, like I was shot, like I was shot with a diamond, a diamond bullet right through my forehead. That's hardcore. Yeah. Who writes that, man? A mountain of arms. I'm just picturing. Oh, so chilling. Gruesome. It's gruesome. Gruesome stuff. Well, Trista, it's been another episode. Thank you very much for your awesome list of six films again. Much appreciated. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me and letting me sin with you. You know, if I'm going to sin, I want to sin with, you know, some of the best. And I, I think you're one of the best, Greg. I, I really liked your list, too. And it challenged me this time because you had two movies that I was like, damn it, I'm behind. I need to get back on it. it so many films that I need to watch. And thank you for bringing stuff to my attention. I love it. Oh, hell, I got to go watch a few viewers myself. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> plug your website real quick. All right, if uh, you want to see some of my wonderful movie reviews, you can find me on thevideovixen.com. And uh, we are, of course, on Instagram at Six Degrees of Retro, and I'm working on a Facebook page so you all can uh, comment a little bit more uh, since our uh, listenership has been going up. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Eight episodes in, and we are just having a blast, and we're just going to keep keep them going uh every few weeks here we'll get something new out to you so uh check us out online and uh have a uh, sinful sunday trista oh you too you know i will <laughs> <laughs> all everybody have a great weekend thanks for listening goodbye bye